Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. The real struggle sometimes in relationships is where we feel like we cannot say what we know needs to be said, either because we're afraid of the change that that might happen in that relationship, we're afraid that that person might reject us, abandon us, or, you know, ghost us. And here's what I say, if we're that afraid that this person would reject us, then you're really in a relationship where that person is probably going to reject you eventually anyways. And so I think boundaries give us an opportunity to have those healthy conversations that need to be had. Lisa Turkhurst joins us today on Focus on the Family, and uh, we thank you for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, relationships with our spouse, with our children, with our friends are some of the most uh, joyful experiences on this side of heaven, but they can pose challenges as well in all those categories, right? Right, right? I think as a parent of two boys, that's where Gene and I are like, ah, half the time, especially back when they were teenagers. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the time that everything kind of blows up, and who knows what's going to happen. But sometimes, uh, you know, to protect your own mental and emotional and spiritual well-being, you have to draw a line, create a boundary. Um, Some people are good at doing that. Others are not as good. Mm -hmm. And today we want to talk about how you can successfully draw those boundaries and help have a, I think, a more shalom, God's Hmm. peace-oriented life. Well, we have Lisa Turkhurst uh, here with us. Uh, She's been on the broadcast a number of times, a very popular guest Uh, as you'll hear in a few minutes. As the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, she's encouraged millions of women. Um, She's helped them strengthen their faith and their relationships. She's written a number of books, and the one we're talking about today is called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. And of course, we have that here at Focus on the Family. Give us a call uh, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Lisa, welcome to Focus. Thank you. It's such an honor, really yeah. is. Hey, let's uh, let's kick it off. Uh, John mentioned Proverbs thirty-one. What a wonderful ministry for so many women. It, it, this area of boundaries, when you look at it, I, I, I don't mean to make a gender distinction here, but I think women, I guess, have um, such a desire to help those around them in significant ways that boundaries can be very difficult and feel kind of counter spiritual, maybe in some way. That if I'm not doing everything, if I'm not killing myself by helping others, and I'm not living up to the expectation I have for myself. Speak to that and what women uh, tell you through Proverbs 31. Yeah, well, I'll speak just on my own behalf of my my struggle with boundaries. You know, I didn't write this book from the point of like, oh, I'm so good at boundaries. You know, <laughs> I, I wrote it from my point of struggle and mm. recognizing that where there's chaos in relationships, there's mm. usually a lack of boundaries. And I think the reason I personally struggled with boundaries is because I had a big question mark. Are boundaries actually biblical? Is God okay if we draw boundaries? Is it unkind? Is it unchristian? And I think if we don't have the biblical confidence that boundaries are okay, then we're always going to tiptoe around them and maybe avoid them. Plus, boundaries can be awkward. 
I think sometimes when people hear the word boundaries, they have a couple of different reactions, neither of which are good. One is, oh, somebody did a boundary with me and really used it as punishment or control or manipulation, and that boundary just felt terrible. Mm. Or they say, oh, you know, I've tried boundaries, and they just don't work for me. So it's funny when you say the word boundaries, people have usually a little bit of a like hesitant reaction to the mm-hmm. word boundaries. No, it's really true. And I, I think it's hard. I think, it, it, like you mentioned, in the Christian ethos, we feel guilty having boundaries because it's almost like if you get slapped in the cheek, give them the other cheek, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of scriptures that caution us to go the extra mile. Absolutely. And uh, we, can, we can muddle that whole thing in terms of self-protection. Yes. Well, I put on um, my Instagram stories one time, tell me the verses, the Bible verses that um, have made you feel like boundaries are unbiblical. And people sent in lots of Bible verses. So I spent time with my theological team at Proverbs 31 Ministries, and we we went through those verses. And in the back of the book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, there's actually a resource. It's many pages of here's what these verses mean. Here's Mm. what they do not mean. Here's how they've been weaponized. And here's a script you can use if somebody uses this verse to tell you that a boundary is unbiblical. I, I, you know, I, one of my most favorite research, theological research times with these verses is, you know, people said, well, Jesus said, lay down your life for your friends, you know, and Jesus modeled that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's absolutely correct. Jesus laid down his life for a high and holy purpose, but not to enable bad behavior to continue. So we must not confuse the good command to love with the unhelpful and often harmful behavior of enabling. Yeah, and that's a brilliant distinction, really. Um, And we've talked about uh, the context for your life and things that you've gone through. So these Next questions are things that you're openly talking about, so I'm not putting you on the spot here. But um, your ex-husband, Art, and what took place with that is a great example, I think, of what you're describing. Can you tell us what happened and just give us that brief synopsis, and we can use that as an example? Yeah. um, You know, I never expected the death of my marriage. And that's what I call a divorce, the death of a marriage, because that's really what it was to me. It was the saddest, hardest, most heartbreaking deal that I ever walked through. And, um, you know, I think there were many, many years where we both fought really hard. um, And toward the end, I fought really hard. But at some point, you have to accept reality. And this was an unsustainable um, reality. And Honestly, at that point for me, it would be unbiblical to stay. So I'm always careful because, you know, I always want to honor him. And so I'm careful with what I say and what I don't say. But what I do know is I didn't walk away. At some point, I had to accept reality. And that's what got me to this place. Well, and you did fight. I mean, I can remember the interviews we did before, during, and after. And, uh, you know, it it didn't always work its way into the program, but we would talk about where you were at and what things were happening. In that way, boundaries applied to a difficult marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, your own experience, the other women at Proverbs 31, women who share with you their struggles. What, what does that boundary problem look like in a married construct? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the easiest way to think about boundaries is, first of all, you've got to have biblical confidence that God is okay with boundaries. Because if you don't have that kind of confidence, then you're always second guessing, is this the right thing to do or not? But if you know that boundaries are not just a good idea, they're actually God's idea, you can approach it in a different way. Always with the purpose, the driving force of a boundary should always be love. It should not be punishment, control, or manipulation. So when I dug into the Bible, right from the very beginning in Genesis 1, I see that God established even the foundation of the world using boundaries. You know, he separated the day and the night. He separated light and darkness. He separated the sea from the land. And, you know, so we see these appropriate boundaries where one stops and another begins. But then I got to Genesis 2, and think of all the topics, all the subject matters that God could have chosen for his first conversation, first recorded conversation with man. And God chose the topic of a boundary. And so in Genesis 2, we find God saying to Adam, you are free, which is important because boundaries are for the sake of defining where the freedom is. Boundaries are not for the sake of just becoming so restrictive that you box a relationship in where it can't grow and thrive. So God says, you are free. So he's establishing the freedom. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but not the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. And so, again, when you understand that God never intended the human heart to carry the weight of the knowledge of evil, God wasn't being overly restrictive. He was actually being protective. And so freedom and protection are both so important when we talk about boundaries. Mm. And especially in the beauty and the treasured nature of such an intimate relationship in a marriage, you know, boundaries should be the way that you open up wonderful communication between you and your significant other that this is what's okay and this is what's not okay. So sometimes when we think about boundaries, we think about this hard, awful conversation. And sometimes boundary conversations are really hard and awful. But sometimes they can be the way that you fight for the relationship. So you don't spend time, so much time, fighting against each other. I think those boundary setting opportunities can be very manipulated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a person that feels wounded because my husband doesn't do such and such, or he always does such and such. It's not perhaps a biblical violation of the marriage. It's his temperament. It's his personality. You married him. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you discern what is a healthy boundary? And what's an unhealthy boundary? I think it's so clouded. It really is. Okay, so I want us to think of two really important words, access and responsibility. And again, as I continued to study and look for examples of God drawing boundaries or indications that God is okay with boundaries, when I got to even the way God constructed or instructed the construction of the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple, Certain people were allowed certain access to certain parts of the temple. It wasn't because those people were more valuable than the other people. It's that they were required a different level of responsibility. So by the time you get to the Holy of Holies, 
then only the high priest once a year had access to the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people. But the high priest had to be perfectly cleansed and purified before he stepped into the Holy of Holies or he would drop dead. And so the highest access required the highest responsibility and also had the highest consequence for a boundary violation. Mm. So I like to think of these two words, access and responsibility. To the level that we give someone access to us, and that's physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, if we're giving level 10 access, then the person we're giving that access to needs to bring level 10 responsibility. Mm. Where a lot of us get in trouble is we're giving level 10 access, but if someone is unwilling or incapable of anything more than a level three, the distance between those two is where you will find dysfunction, where you'll find chaos, and where there's chaos, there's usually a lack of boundaries. So here's an example of an unhealthy way to set a boundary. And this was my mistake, so I'm going to own this confession time, okay? That I would want this person to lift up their area of responsibility to match the level of access I'd given them so much. So I decided to put a boundary on them. And when you try to put a boundary on somebody, you're using external pressure to try to create an internal change. And we all know if that person is unwilling or incapable of making that change for themselves, you can create temporary behavior modification, but you're not going to really have them become more responsible with the access you've given them. And so instead of putting a boundary to try to force someone else to change on that person, we have to put a boundary around ourselves and be self-controlled enough to reduce the level of access down to the level of responsibility that that person is demonstrating. Mm. Now, you're not, um, there's so much here, Lisa, and, and I'm wondering where does love fit into this picture, kind of going back to what Jim was saying, because if I have a boundary and, and it gets transgressed, well, love says to overlook the transgression, or does it? Well, good question. God's really clear about what love is. And I think sometimes, like I said before, we confuse the good command to love with some bad behaviors of people pleasing and, um, you know, trying to enable someone or even step in and save them when we can be a friend, we can be a spouse, we can be a parent, but we cannot be the savior. Mm. And so, yes, the motivation for a boundary always has to be love, seeking the other person's highest good as they seek your highest good as well. So the motivation should be love. But part of love is good communication. Part of love is being patient and kind. And if we allow so many boundary violations that it wears us down to the worst version of ourself, then we'll be guilty of doing the exact opposite of what God's definition of love should be. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. When Jenny discovered her husband's emotional affair, she was devastated. Thankfully, she found resources to heal her marriage. I think Focus on the Family has been almost like a conduit to kind of pull together um, two lives that's been broken. I'm Jim Daly. Help us rescue hurting marriages and give families hope. Donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash family, and your gift will be doubled. 
Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy the Christmas season gives comfort and draws us closer to loved ones. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas Stories. That's focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. We'll continue now with the balance of our programming. Lisa, in the book you mentioned a comparison to Hallmark films, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> and we probably need a little lightheartedness in the middle of this heaviness. But talk about the Hallmark movie and how it distorts things. Right. Well, I think we all have visions of how we want life to be, how we want relationships to be. And so, you know, I talk about how sometimes at Christmas, especially, I'll be watching one of these, you know, wonderfully delightful, sometimes slightly cheesy movies, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking they have this same storyline every time. Like the girl is in some kind of distress and suddenly she bumps into a guy at a diner and, um, (laughs) you know, she accidentally spills a little coffee on him and then she finds out he's a prince of a foreign land and then, you know, they fall in love and he whisks her away to the castle to live happily ever after. Never worried about the shirt. Never worried about the shirt, right? (laughs) But this is how life often goes. She's working at a diner. She spills coffee on him. He gets so irate with her that he just says things that crush her heart. She goes home. She is still infuriated with him. Then something happens, and he loses the ability to be the king of the kingdom again. And so she decides to save up her money, buy the castle, and, (laughs) you know, it's just... That's life, right? Life is messy. You know, love and relationships are so wonderful until they're not. And I am the biggest proponent of marriage. I love marriage. So in writing this book, I'm not encouraging people to quickly, you know, push their spouse away or ghost their parent. Boundaries are not to shove others away. They're to help hold us together. And really, it's so that we can open up communication and and talk about things. You know, one time I was having this counseling session, and um, the Christian counselor that I go to see, he watched me over and over and over say the word expectations, you know. And finally, he stopped me. He said, Lisa, I wonder if we might choose a different word than expectations, because expectations are really simmering resentments in disguise. Mm. What if we made the focus of our conversation our needs, where the other person has the option to meet those needs or not? An expectation implies you better do this or else, right? So when I shifted to needs and desires, then I'm able to more clearly communicate and give an opportunity for love to blossom, but not demand that love meet exactly what I think love should meet. Yeah, and one of the, you know, critical areas in marriage particularly, but in all relationships, is expectation. Mm. I remember I, I wrote a book, and the reviewer of the book said, Jim Daly's best advice is don't really expect anything out of anybody. That wasn't <laughs> what I was trying to say, but what I was trying to say was just keep your expectations reasonable in your relationships. Don't have such high expectations that there's no way that person, whether it's your spouse, your son or daughter, your 
mother-in-law <laughs> is going to let you down if they're too high. So how do, how do we even establish in the boundaries context the healthy expectation? What does that even look like, and are we capable of doing that? Okay, well, I have another confession. <laughs> I am a people pleaser. I really struggle with people pleasing. And so as I dug around into what what was driving this, because, mm. you know, my people pleasing would tip over into codependency mm. and a good definition of codependency is if you find yourself saying, I need you to be okay so I can be okay. So are you okay? So I can be okay. Okay. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and having this, this thing in me that I want everyone else to be happy. So for me, I would rather sacrifice my needs, my desires, and all on the altar of keeping everyone else happy. But here was the real danger of that. When I pushed myself to really consider why was I trying to keep everyone happy, it wasn't just to please everyone. I was keeping them happy because I was afraid if I didn't, they would take something from me that I felt I must have from them in order to be okay in the world. And when I got really honest, I wrote this in my journal. We will always desperately want from other people what we fear we will never get from God. And so my people-pleasing wasn't necessarily to please the other person. It was actually because I wanted something from them. And I feared if I had healthy boundaries, appropriate boundaries, I feared that they would take that away from me, and then I wouldn't be okay in the world. And so the Lord really had to work on my heart. And all of this ties up even into marriage. You know, if we put so much pressure on our spouse to be everything for us, then I think we're setting up a dynamic for our spouse to, in essence, be our God and supply everything when that's not possible and that's too much pressure to put on the beautiful but sometimes fragile nature of this intimate relationship called marriage. How how do you clear up that conversation so that it's healthy, it's mature, and you can get to some solid relationship in the spousal area particularly to where you're really heart-to-heart with each other? Well, I think it's really important to do a little bit of work to look at what has happened in our past in order to understand that what we don't work out, we will eventually act out. And often in the construct of a marriage. My counselor often says that. And in the construct of a marriage, you know, it's easy sometimes to pull past unhealed pain into present day arguments or into present day conflicts or into present day tensions. And it all gets multiplied and it's much bigger. My counselor also says when it's hysterical, it's historical. So if you're having an out-of-proportion reaction to something at hand, Mm. typically there's work that needs to be done as an individual before we even try to come together as a couple. But I'm utterly convinced that communication, good, healthy communication, that we choose at the right time, not when we're tired, not when we're hangry, (laughs) not right before we're supposed to go to bed, you know, but if we carefully choose those times, then attempt to have the good conversations about what you need and what they need. And that's such a wonderful bonding opportunity if done properly. And, you know, I'm convinced more relationships die, not because we attempt to have the challenging conversations and they go poorly, 
but because we refused to have the conversations that we desperately needed to have. You know, Lisa, this, this portion has flown by. I want to come back and keep the discussion going and talk more about your book. But as we're ending day one, and I'm always mindful of that person, and maybe dozens, maybe hundreds that are listening going, wow, Lisa's describing me. That's where I'm at. I do take a lot, and I have high expectations. What are some things they can do after hearing this, other than get your book, which would be a great in-depth resource, obviously, but what can they do to say, okay, i got to reevaluate where I'm at with boundaries, what my expectations are with my husband, with my wife, with my kids, with my business partner, with those that I work with? Absolutely. I would say take steps, not leaps. So don't listen to this conversation and suddenly think, oh, I've got to draw boundaries in all my relationships, you know. <laughs> That's um, what would happen. But take a step, not a leap. And maybe identify one place in one relationship where there's some chaos, where you find yourself saying, oh, I just can't take it anymore. Or, oh, I'm just so worn out from this hard situation. So where there's chaos, there's usually a lack of a boundary. So identify that one place and ask God to help you know when would be a good time to have an appropriate conversation. And when you have the conversation, remember, you're not putting a boundary on that other person to try to control them or manipulate them or even punish them. You're putting a boundary in place so that you can remain self-controlled so that you can love others well without losing the best of who you are. That is so good. Uh, Lisa, I hope people are feeling it and that um, they could see the deficit that they may have in this area. You know, we have caring Christian counselors at Focus that can help as well, so we want you to contact us. Focus on the Family is basically just a big help house, Mm -hmm. and we want to be there for you. You can call, and and, uh, if necessary, we'll put you in touch with a counselor. Also a great resource, Lisa's book, and I hope you can support the ministry. Do do ministry with us. Uh, Get the book through Focus on the Family. Send a gift of any amount, and we'll send you the book as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. If you can't afford it, we'll get it into your hands. It's the content that matters, and we'll trust others will cover the cost of that. And right now, uh, as we enter into the holiday seasons, we have a wonderful opportunity for you to give families hope. Uh, We would invite you to donate and help us extend the ministry and reach out to those who are experiencing a lot of family conflict and uh, these kinds of issues that we've been talking about. They just get magnified at this time of year. So please donate as you can uh, when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And also, John, uh, we have, as we normally do this time of year, a great opportunity to double your gift. Uh, We have friends that have put up a matching gift. So when you donate and get a copy of Lisa's book, uh, others will match you dollar for dollar to do more ministry. So it's a great way, a fun way, to try and do more for the kingdom in 2023. Yeah, help us uh, reach out and double your gift uh, effectively by donating today. Again, our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Lisa, again, thanks for being with us today. Let's come back and keep the discussion going. Sounds great. Thank you, Jim. Mm -hmm. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation and once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. 
We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Praying with the kids at bedtime in the comfort of your home. This warm setting is featured in the new special edition print from Focus on the Family titled What Matters Most. It's a story in paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a gicle depicting a faithful pioneer family, and it can have a special place in your home to remind you of what's truly important. Get this special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash special print. That's focusonthefamily.com slash special print. You know, people said, well, Jesus said, lay down your life for your friends. You know, and Jesus modeled that. He laid down his life for his friends. And that's absolutely correct. Jesus laid down his life for a high and holy purpose, but not to enable bad behavior to continue. Huh. So we must not confuse the good command to love with the unhelpful and often harmful behavior of enabling. Well, that's Lisa Turkhurst, and she joins us again today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I'm excited to have Lisa back. You know, there are a handful of people that do such a wonderful job communicating their message and Lisa's one of those handful of people that do it so well with great wisdom. She really is tapping into the hearts of all of us. And the topic we talked about last time were those boundaries in our life, why we should have some, A, and if we don't, why there will be chaos in our lives mm-hmm. and that gap. And I thought it was an excellent uh, discussion. And if people missed it, I hope you'll go to the website, get it on your smartphone, through the Focus app, however you can hear it. I would listen to part one as you listen to part two as well. Yeah, it's a good backdrop. We covered a lot of uh, really interesting and uh, relevant content regarding relationships and what to do when things go south. Um, Lisa is passionate about helping women. She uh, is head of Proverbs 31 Ministries. They reach out and uh, touch millions of women every year. Uh, Lisa is a very popular author, and she has written a terrific book called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. And we have copies of that here at the ministry. Call 800, the letter A in the word family, to learn more. Lisa, welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to have you. Listen, uh, you know, one the, the mark of a really good writer, I think, is how you can use humor in very heavy situations. <laughs> and your book certainly has very humorous stories in there. The one I connected with was how your floodlights, I think, are connected to some other area of the house. Yes. <laughs> Tell yes. me about that one, because I am so mechanically uninclined. I am, too. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a good, long stretch of my childhood where um, we didn't really have the money to call the professionals in. So (laughs) my mindset was always like, just work around it, you know, (laughs) like fix it as good enough. So (laughs) that mindset is important for you to be the undertone of the story I'm about to share. Okay. So we did a renovation project and somehow the back floodlights of my house were connected to the hot water heater. And I know if you are a plumber or an electrician, you probably are not going to believe me, but I am telling the honest truth. If we turned off the back floodlights, the hot water went out. And so one time my sister came to visit and she went upstairs to take a shower. And all of a sudden she yelled downstairs, Lisa, something just happened to the hot water. To which I replied, sorry, I'll go turn the back floodlights back on. (laughs) And so... She got out of the shower, and she came down, and she looked at me. She said, repeat to me exactly what you said. (laughs) I didn't hear that right. (laughs) And I said, oh, sorry. If we turn the back floodlights off, the hot water goes out. 
And she leaned in closer and she said, you know, you need to get that fixed, right? <laughs> and I was like, I know. I've been meaning to put a little sign, maybe even laminate it by the back floodlights light switch and tell people don't turn this light switch off or else we won't have hot water. <laughs> right. And she leaned in. And she said, that's not normal. You <laughs> that's know not that. fixing it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, as I've thought about that story, it's such an example of how we get used to our own dysfunction. It didn't even occur to me to call someone and have that fixed. It occurred to me to put a sign up and just say, don't turn the back floodlights off, right? Which you'll be happy to know. I eventually, after my sister's prodding, did get the issue fixed. (laughs) But I think it's a good example of how over time, if we continue to live in dysfunctional dances, that's what I call it, a dysfunctional dance sometimes in some of our most important relationships, over time that dysfunction starts to feel normal and Mm. we normalize things that we shouldn't normalize and we get used to our own dysfunction. Wow, that's a right between the eyes kind of statement really for all of us to assess that. You, You also mentioned the damage done when we invest too much Um, attention into how people see us. Mm -hmm. I I don't mean to twist that, but, you know, people's opinions and how that influences our own opinion of us. Mm -hmm. I think some of that is hard to avoid. I mean, if somebody says, you know, Jim, you're eating a little too much, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that might be, um, there is a certain objectivity to that that somebody should listen to that's healthy And then there's unhealthy. Help us divide those. Yeah, well, I think you can always look at the intention of the statement. Was this meant to harm me or help me? And take a step back from that statement and just think, like, there's a reason the statement was made. Either it's an indication that they have some issue going on and they're trying to harm me, or it's an indication of the great love for me and they're trying to help me and discerning those two are really important and not personalizing it so much where we automatically get defensive because you know that's one of the real killers of a conversation is for one person to get incredibly defensive but as it relates to boundaries you know i think we have to have a realistic understanding that communication is so vitally important And there are healthy ways and unhealthy ways to have conversations. And so boundaries really provide a structure for us to be able to communicate where the freedom is in the relationship. And like I said yesterday, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And we have the opportunity to state what we do have to give and what we don't have to give. The real struggle sometimes in relationships is where we feel like we cannot say what we know needs to be said, either because we're afraid of the change that that might happen in that relationship. We're afraid that that person might reject us, abandon us, or, you know, ghost us. And here's what I say. If we are that afraid that this person would reject us, then you're really in a relationship where that person is probably going to reject you eventually anyways. And so I think boundaries give us an opportunity to have those healthy conversations that need to be had. Yeah. You, you share a story about a friend of yours whose mother found a baby picture. Mm-hmm. Describe the impact of that and how does that apply to what you're saying? Well, it was this beautiful moment. It's a gal that works for me. Her name is Amanda. And her mom gave her a picture of her when she was a baby. And Amanda pulled out that 
picture one day and looked at it, and she said, look at me before life wrote all over me. Wow. And she could just see so much life and the light in that baby's eyes. And she's like, that baby is me. But so much of life has been written all over me that, you know, it's she sort of changed the view of her potential based on the things that happened to her. And if we want to have healthy relationships, then we have to pursue health within ourselves because health bonds with health, unhealth bonds with unhealth. So if we want healthy relationships, we would do well to tend to our health, heal some of those things from the past, work on some of those things, and, um, and really determine to bring the very best of who we are front and center. You know, in that description, a person like Amanda you can feel the tread marks all over you, mm-hmm. that life has dealt you a bad hand, and you could get resentful, and that's what you're describing. How do you climb out of that hole? I mean, even listening to, to this today, I mean, how does a person say, okay, I'm not going to let people run all over me. I'm going to create a boundary. Is that the right motivation that you feel, you know, that people have mistreated you, therefore I'm going to set these boundaries? Is that right or wrong or Well, we have to be careful not to let the bitterness that happens around us or the bitterness that comes at us get inside of us because the Bible is so clear. In in Ephesians, you know, we're told to get rid of all bitterness because there's never just a little bit of bitterness. Bitterness leaks out, not just onto the person that we feel bitter against, but it leaks out onto all of our relationships. So... You know, I can speak to this really personally. At some point, I had to decide if the unwanted and heartbreaking divorce that I went through, if that was going to be the epic defining moment of my life. And would I always carry that banner of being a victim? Or was I at some point going to rise up accept reality, because mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs, I can still wish that that would not be part of my story. But by God, if it is going to be part of my story, I'm going to rise up, I'm going to hold up the banner of victory, and I'm going to kick the devil in the teeth and make him regret he ever messed with a woman like me. Wow, that's a statement. (laughs) It's a statement, but it's also a life-saving perspective to have. You know, we all have parts of our story that either we didn't see coming or we didn't want or, you know, that just ripped the rug out from underneath us. And, you know, I think it's good to think about, am I going to hold up the banner of victim or victory? Because we can't hold up both at the same time. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Friends of Focus on the Family, give families hope this Christmas with a gift of appreciated stock. By donating appreciated stock, you create tax savings while turning resources into help for hurting families. And you'll also receive a tax deduction on the fair market value of your gift. Let our team help you make the most of your giving. To learn more, visit GiveFamiliesHope.com. That's GiveFamiliesHope.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. We'll continue now with the balance of our programming. Lisa, fear can 
prevent us from creating healthy boundaries. The fear of what a person might think if we do this, uh, you know, whatever it might be. But we drop, we pull in from doing the healthy thing that we could do. I see that a bit in my own boys, you know, that confrontation is not a comfortable thing for them. How do we, either in our marital relationship or in our parenting journey, how do we help our spouse, help ourselves, help our kids not have that fear of engaging people like this with real firm boundaries? Well, I think sometimes when we think about communicating a boundary, it feels like we're we're having to operate in the extremes and extremes feel so comfortable. Like, you know, we can never have this happen again, or, you know, you always do this. And so I always encourage people avoid the extremes and recognize that the boundary conversations don't have to be awful. I mean, if somebody makes a request of you that would extend you past the capacity that you have, then we can have a gentle conversation and say, my heart says yes, 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 but the reality of my time says no. And here's the deal. We're already doing this really well. So I'm going to prove to you, Jim, you're already doing this really well. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Do you have a bank account? Yes. Um, Do you have a passcode on your bank account? I believe I do. Okay. (laughs) Even if you can't remember it right now, you have some sort of security so that not everyone can get your bank account. Um, Would you feel comfortable right now just sharing your bank account information and your passcode and everything just to give all of us free access to your bank account? Absolutely not. Why? Is it because you're unchristian? Is it because you're selfish? Why, why, won't, why won't you just share it? Because it's none of your business. Exactly, right? <laughs> and I would suspect because you don't know if we're all going to be responsible with the limited resources that you have in your account. And you know that you have responsibilities that your limited resources need to handle, right? And it's not because you're unkind or unchristian. It's because you have limited you have a limited capacity, and it's because you're human. Only God has a limitless supply. Hmm. We know this with our finances, but we forget it with all other areas of capacity in our life. And so I think it's a really healthy exercise, even before we attempt the hard conversations, to have a logical sit down with yourself and define what is my capacity in this area, in this area, in this area, so that when requests are made that hyperextend us past our reasonable capacity, of course, always allowing the Lord to grow us and develop us. But we can simply have a logical conversation. It doesn't have to be so emotional. I would love to do that. My heart says yes, yes, yes. But the reality of my time makes this a no. Now, I can't give that, but here's what I can give. Yeah. You you know, I'm thinking of that marital conflict, though, where, you know, the frustrated wife, I'll just use that as the example. Obviously, you can put the shoe on the other foot, whatever. But, you know, that, that wife that's been nagging her husband, I mean, it could be something silly like, putting the dirty clothes in the right spot, and he just has some incredible inability to put it in the hamper. I mean, it goes on the floor, it goes on the bed, it goes everywhere else but in the hamper. And I'm being ridiculous here, but that could become a real sore point of frustration. Can't you just put your dirty socks in the hamper? And, you know, it starts to chip away at the relationship. It now, really we could put more serious things in there, and you can keep inching up the game with the seriousness. But where does the acceptance of somebody's inability, for whatever reason, did God create their brain so they can't put their dirty socks in the stinking hamper? 
but uh, how do you evaluate that? How do you know when, okay, this husband of mine just does not have the capacity to do this, and I back down on the expectation, or I keep pressing even to the breaking point where this really puts a dent in our relationship. How do you how do you know that balance? Well, okay, let's use the example of one spouse always running late and the other spouse always wanting to be on time. Okay, so are you typically Jim the run late person or the on time person? On time person. Okay, so and it's interesting you should say that because Gene is the running late person. Okay, okay. So let's say you Sorry, and Gene, Gene are having a conversation, and Gene, we love you. There's there's many 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 of us that also run late. Um, but let's say you and Jean have this different definition of being on time. Let's just phrase it that way, right? So you like to get there 20 minutes early. Jean feels like as long as she skirts in at the last second, then she's on time. I mean, we're just yeah, using pretty much, Jean and she as does an a example. lot better job now than she used to. Okay, perfect. <laughs> but you could have a conversation. You could say, Jean. I absolutely love going places with you. I love going to church with you. Let's just use that as an example. Okay. I love going to church with you. Um, and, Jean, I have an issue. So you're taking ownership of your own thing. I have a different definition of being on time than you. I can't feel comfortable in church and receive everything that I'm supposed to receive if I don't get there 20 minutes early. So here's my proposal. If we can go 20 minutes early, that's great. If we can't, though, I'm giving you freedom to take all the time you need. And we will still sit together in church, but maybe we need to ride in separate cars. But here's the great bonus. I will arrive at church. I will save you a seat. I will make sure you have notes. I I will set it all up so that we're both successful. And it doesn't diminish our love if we ride in separate cars. It just simply means we go to church. We just don't ride in the same car. But isn't it better to come up with a solution like that than to always sit in church with your spouse feeling annoyed and frustrated and let those simmering resentments grow to the point of a real serious issue in the marriage? Absolutely. And those little things can do that. They can get they could be blown up into big things, and it's, it's unhealthy. You had to make a, a heart-wrenching decision. And again, we talked about it at the beginning of the program last time, uh, to say goodbye to your marriage. Mm-hmm. and. I can't imagine all of the angst and the writhing of going through that. And you're very respectful to your ex-husband, Art. But you you say that goodbyes can be healthy. Now, people are going to jump at that and say, how can that be? Because God hates divorce. And that's one specific area. But how, how can goodbyes be healthy? Well, and it's interesting you brought up the verse from Malachi, God hates divorce, because in the original language, that interpretation didn't come about until the King James Version. In the original language, it actually says, when a man hates and divorces his wife, he does violence against the very one he should protect. Mm. And so when I did research on that, and I started to understand that, you know, of course God would hate what divorce does to people, right? But God doesn't hate divorced people. Correct. And so, you know, it, it was it was gut wrenching. I did not want a divorce. I fought really, really hard. Um, we were married thirty years, and the last eight of those years, um, they were the hardest years of my life. And he would probably say they're the hardest years of his life as yeah. well. But there were some things that shifted our marriage from a difficult marriage to a destructive marriage. 
And when I realized that there were choices being made that were not keeping in line with a biblical marriage, at some point, you know, it was not about me walking away. It was about me accepting reality. And here's the thing that I had to choose, though. This was a very heartbreaking goodbye, but it was also at times a really messy goodbye. But I read that the original phraseology of goodbye, it actually comes from God be with ye. And then it was shortened to God B-W-Y. And then it, w- it became goodbye. Huh. And so as I thought about that, I thought, I want a little more of God be with ye in my goodbyes. And so I had a marked moment where I took all the heartbreak and all the devastation, and I acknowledged it. It's real. I will not deny it. But I started to pray, God be with ye. And it became a better goodbye. Hmm. That's powerful. And again, people are dealing with all kinds of different things, right? And they don't understand the full situation that you went through. And you're very discreet about how you share about that. But you did fight. And uh, there was, you know, biblical reasons for you to terminate the marriage. Yes. And yeah. And I think that's why it was important in this conversation of good boundaries to also include the goodbyes because in all of my years of attending church and studying the Bible, I had never really learned how do you say a biblical goodbye? Is God even okay with goodbyes? And there were so many examples huh. that I found in scripture. I mean, we look at Paul and Barnabas, they had a sharp disagreement. And it wasn't because either of them were terrible people. It's that they had a different vision of the next missionary journey and who should go with them. But even though they separated and they they went their separate ways, and there's no indication that they ever really came back together and did ministry together, there was a softening on both of their hearts where they walked away, but they didn't bash the other person. They they didn't discredit their ministry, right? And, And the Bible says it actually even served to further the gospel even more. So some goodbyes are just hard and horrific, the end. Some goodbyes, it's not because either the people are terrible people. It's because they had a division, a division. One had a vision to go this way. One had a vision to go this way. But they kept their hearts soft in the process. Yeah, and that's such a good thing to remember in the circumstance you're in. And again, Lisa, right at the end here, I... I you know, it may not be a act of infidelity or addiction or the things that occurred in your situation, but the woman that's just frustrated, she feels like, is this it? Maybe the man that's in that spot, is this it? Is this all that can be? Is just arguments and just, uh, you know, chaos. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it more than this? I thought that day we got married, it would be something different, mm-hmm. and it's not, and it's gotten worse. What word of encouragement do you have for them to say, it doesn't have to be that way? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say sometimes you have to call a timeout and call in a professional. 
And if there's one thing that I would really encourage them to do is get out of the swirl of the own, their own echo chamber of what, what they've been fighting about. Because sometimes you can get in such a dysfunctional dance that it really does require outside people to speak yeah. into the marriage. And so I would say do everything you can to fight for that relationship yeah. and have outside people that are good, wise, trained people to speak into your relationship. And at the same time, recognize if it's shifted from difficult to destructive, a separation may be necessary. Jesus called us to forgive 70 times 7, but he did not call us to stay in a situation where someone's abusing us and hurting us and to stay close in that forgiveness, you can create some distance and enough distance to where you can forgive that person if they never change 70 times seven without getting destroyed in the process. That is Mm -hmm. such good advice. And a great way to start, obviously, is to get Lisa's book. And, uh, And it's not just the marital relationship. It's, again, all relationships. What are healthy boundaries? What are unhealthy boundaries? What are my motivations to set those boundaries? We've covered it all. And Lisa's book goes into even more detail on how to do that. So get a copy. Order it directly from Focus here. The other thing Lisa said there is so true. Hope Restored, our, our uh, marriage intensive program, is such a good program. 81% success rate. That's two years after the couples have come through the program. Many of those couples have signed divorce papers, mm-hmm. and it's still a very high success rate. So, And what they're doing is exactly what Lisa is talking about. They're going to teach you how to understand each other's triggers, how to love, how to build an environment of trust to give your marriage the fighting chance to be something far better than what it may be right now. Mm. The starting point for help is 800, the letter A in the word family. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast to learn more about Lisa's book, about Hope Restored. Also, Jim, I think it'd be good to mention that we do have a, a team of caring Christian counselors, as Lisa indicated. We'd be happy to connect you with somebody in your local area so you can have an ongoing conversation with someone to help unpack some issues that you might be dealing with. And as we enter the season of the holidays here, Thanksgiving and Christmas, Jim, uh, it's time that we can uh, encourage people to give families hope. Absolutely. We have uh, a matching gift. Some friends of the ministry have put forward some dollars to say, hey, if you donate to Focus, we'll match you dollar for dollar. It's just a fun way to do more in the coming year and to help more people. So uh, do it. Uh, give $5, it's $10. Give 50 and it's 100 And again, I, we're grateful to everybody helping the ministry accomplish uh, really the simple goal of helping as many people as possible. Mm. Uh, be generous as you can when you call 800, the letter A in the word family. Ask about Lisa's book, uh, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. And then if there's any other way we can help you, please let us know. At Lisa, again, I'm sorry for the heartache that you've gone through. Um, I'm really impressed by your ability to turn that into something that others will benefit from. I mean, it's really, it's touching to see how you've done that. So thank you for being with us. Absolutely. And, you know, that's been my prayer. If I have to walk through this, I want God to get somehow, um, get the glory from it and create good in other people's lives because of it. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. 
I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>